Welcome. 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 To celebrate. To celebrate. Holly. Welcome to celebrate story. With my mom. My mom. With my mom. With my mom. With my wife. Julie Wagner. Julie Wagner. Julie Wagner. Julie Wagner. Happy moment. I am so glad you're here. Today, I have my husband joining me on the podcast. Hi. And so we are going to have a fun discussion about a book we both read, and we are going to try our absolute hardest to not give spoilers because Steve has a clear policy in regards to spoilers. What is your policy, Steve? (laughs) I don't like spoilers. And Julie does, as we talked about in a previous podcast. Yes. It's it's definitely a a point of contention in our marriage lately. It's... (laughs) See? She did it again since we did that podcast. I just, y'all. It's, and it was like a comedy. It was, yeah. It wasn't even stressful. But it, I was anxious. I, I understand the comedy wasn't stressful for you and your experience, but the comedy was stressful for me. I found the whole thing anxiety provoking. And so if I just Googled the spoilers, then I could relax. But Good. Back to the book. Back to the book. <laughs> What is the book? The book. The book is A Man Called Uva. And I'm also going to touch on a book called How to Do Nothing. And this all was inspired by several things swirling together. Um, I I joined a book discussion on this book, and several people in our family have read this book. Our twins have read the book. Um, Your parents have listened to the book on their way home. And it's just produced a lot of beautiful conversation. And yet here I am, I found myself with more to say still, which is quite surprising to you, right? Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) And if you're looking for that book, I'll link it in the show notes, but it is, Uva is O-V-E, which most people pronounce Ove. I happened to listen to the book, so I got the privilege of hearing it pronounced Uva. And you have a, a love for things done correctly, like Yes. So you made sure that we all pronounced it correctly. Yes. <laughs> okay. So we're just going to talk about some of the the themes that were brought up in the book, um, because I thought it was so many important themes, and it actually bridges beautifully into the last few episodes of this season. Season one is going to be wrapping up in a few episodes here on Celebrate Story. And the last few episodes we're all doing around a theme of mental health. And so, and this book touches on that. So it was like this perfect setup to like the closing few podcasts of season one. So, okay. So I first, my first question Steve, because the thing I loved about this book is this book was one gigantic, compassionate backstory. And I'm curious to ask you the question. It was a question we we did in our book club, but how does the opening scene for you, Steve, in which, so the man in the book is attempting to buy this iPad and it's all in the first chapter. So this is not a spoiler. And you learn a little bit about his personality. He's like this grumpy curmudgeon. And then you spend the whole book getting to know him and love him. And I'm just curious about what thoughts and reflections you have about like the idea of this book being the compassionate backstory. See, I like stories like this. And I think <clears throat> I think I was the one who brought this book to kind of everybody's attention. You did. After I read it, because I like, I don't like linear stories. So starting with the, 
basically starting with the end and then working everything back in between is it's just my kind of um, literature. And I will add right here that um, getting Julie to read fiction was a monumental task. It so, is. It and the is. fact that she liked it, she's recommending it and doing book clubs on it and now a podcast. Um, it's huge. It's a, a pretty big thing. It is. Well, and I want to explain for my need for understanding. <laughs> I think because fiction is like it it sends me on this journey of all these emotions and it always feels like a loss that it's not real. And so I'd rather read a memoir because if I'm going to go on this emotional roller coaster of the full range of human emotion, I want it to be real. Like I want that person to really exist in real life or and maybe because I am the type of person who rides that roller coaster every hour. <laughs> Every week, it feels like fiction doesn't feel like an escape. It feels like more of life, which is why I ravenously consume nonfiction because it's like it helps turn on the part of my brain that is often writing backseat or writing maybe even in the trunk. <laughs> so I like nonfiction because it helps me think. So yeah, it is. It's huge that that I love this book. So okay, so my next question I want to ask you, Steve. Um, so a part of his personality, and this is not a spoiler, you could get this from the summary of the book, is um, Uva loves things to have a purpose that are useful. And this worldview he has fails him when he believes himself to be useless. Um, and I just want to talk about that for a little bit, because I think that's such an interesting point. And I marry that in my brain with last spring, I read this book, How to Do Nothing, because I really, really struggle sitting still and sitting in the silence until it silences me. And I think this is just such a needed discussion because I don't remember where I read it, but I remember someone referencing that like, if we're not producing or consuming, we struggle to stay still as a culture. And this person was linking it to like a capitalist mentality. We've got to either be producing or we've got to be consuming. And we struggle with that space of doing nothing. And it, and then it made me think about like some of the, the gifts of community are literally having people to do nothing with and how I struggle in that space. And I don't know. It just it's it brought up so many ideas, and it, it was like I was starving to have the conversation about like this pull to always being useful inside of us, and curious how other people experience that. Like, is that something in you? Like, or or as a nine on the enneagram, like you seem less prone to this like never ending producing and consuming pull. I'm curious. I just I would love to hear your thoughts on on those ideas. Maybe a little less, but I <clears throat> I understand the concept of you hear, I don't know, you hear people who retire and kind of don't do anything age quicker. You know, it's, um, you have to stay busy, you have to keep doing things to keep, I don't know. I, but for me, I, I just think we're busy enough that I don't even understand doing nothing at this point. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> It is true. With eight children, there really isn't. It's really kind of laughable to like read a book on how to do nothing when you have eight children. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I just, I think it's, I think what I am getting at, what I'm clawing at is 
I think I equate doing and usefulness with worth. But which you flipped it when you said, you know, we want to stay busy and our usefulness is tied to our sense of purpose. I'm just, it's like there's about, there's got to be a balance. I know, like there's a time to be useful and there's a time to sit still. But it makes me think of that tree, the tree. I'm so, I love the story of the tree. In the book, How to Do Nothing, they told a story of there's a, a tree that the only one surviving in California of its kind, it's 500 years old and all the other ones have been cut down. And part of the reason that it has survived is that it's it's kind of in such a gnarly, twisted shape that it wasn't of much use for carpenters. And so it's like, it's very uniqueness. It's different is what kept it alive. Like it's it's non-usability. And the author was drawing these conclusions of like this, you know, she was making this huge case to withdraw our attention from the attention economy and to like put our roots down, our eyes focus, our presence in the our real live communities around us because this attention resource that we all give to social media and technology is like precious. And she was just making this advocation for withdrawing it. Like she told this beautiful story of how she goes to the Rose Garden just to do nothing. And when she started going to the Rose Garden, she could hear birds singing. And now after much time doing it, she can like, hello, Blue Jay. Hello, Cardinal. Like she can literally fine tune the difference in the sounds these birds make. And so she's like the whole case. She's an artist. She's actually an art professor. And she just advocates for the beauty of like our real lives around us, which I mean, I'm starving for that. Who doesn't have a complicated relationship with their technology? But anyways, I just I just think that's really interesting because he he really valued being useful and lost a sense of purpose from that. And it it makes me wonder too if that's what some of our problems with community are. It's like it has to have a purpose. It has to have a usefulness. So I don't know. I just kind of wanted to process all that. And usefulness is a big theme in this book because it really starts. The book takes a dark turn pretty quick. So I don't think, again, not a spoiler, but um, you find out that Uva's plan is to commit suicide. Um, and he talks about, you know, he his job is kind of taken away from him. Um, basically, I think because he got too old. Um, and he just, I don't, he's not feeling very useful. And, so it's he has a plan to end his life because he doesn't see a reason to um his his value is tied up in his usefulness his presence he doesn't value his presence apart from his usefulness which is heartbreaking it's absolutely heartbreaking that i can see that i can see that in me this this tie to feeling worth in production I mean, that's literally partly how the um, podcast, a seed of um, of how the podcast got birthed. It's like all these years, I mean, producing babies feels so significant. And it's like, and it met so many needs. And then, yes, it's time for that season to end. And it's like, okay, well, how else can I get this need met and nourish passions that have been on the back burner. And it's a sense of usefulness to do a podcast. Like, okay, this is like a sense of a place to to share my gifts, a sh- sh- place to have a purpose. And it's so important. It gives us energy. It keeps us alive. And it makes me think one of my favorite quotes from the book is, 
every person has to know what they're fighting for. And I love that quote. I had a friend recently reflect on that, had not even read the book, but she was reflecting on that she actually has one son who is battling a really, really hard health situation and just on this healing journey. And she referenced, you know, people would typically, you know, say, okay, he's bad, you know, he's fighting for his life. But she referenced that she said, all of my children are fighting for their lives. And this is like, this has like turned around in my head so many times. I'm like, it's so true. It's something that isn't talked about a lot, but it's like, whether we admit it consciously or not, we're all fighting for our lives in some way, shape, or form. And um, I think oftentimes this usefulness factor, this purpose factor, whether it's met or unmet, can be the source of a lot, a lot to dig into. I'm curious how, Steve, I mean, you, at seven years old, you're, you were touched and kind of grew up fast at seven years old. I'm stumbling over all my words. <laughs> I've asked Steve if I could ask this ahead of time, but um, I'm just I'm just curious. You've had personal experience with death by suicide in your life. I'm curious. You probably read this book with a different lens than I do because I have not had that a direct. I mean, I did have that direct encounter on the way home the other night. You when, did. <laughs> that was really sad. Um, Zane and I were driving home from, where were we leaving? I guess I picked him up from work and there was a woman on a bridge in distress. The police ended up coming and and she was, if she wasn't trying to take her own life, I, I don't know what other explanation it could be. And there's like three of us cars that pulled over and thankfully the police came and it was so like sobering just how many people are hurting and how many people are suffering. Anyways, um, that story aside, I just, I know you read this book with a different lens because this is, I don't know. I'm just curious if you have any reflections or thought on, on that. I do. And I think one of the things I liked about the book is because <clears throat> I think it, well, this book and Frederick Brockman has a, he's the author, has another book called Anxious People, which also um, touches on suicide, um, just kind of gives a, a window into what somebody might be thinking. Um, and yeah, my mother committed suicide when I was seven. Um, actually, I'm sorry, Kim Honeycutt, we're not supposed to. Oh, yes. Kim taught us some more compassionate language. How do we say that? She, she died from depression. She died from depression. Yeah. Um, so... Being the survivor of a suicide leaves a lot of questions. Um, and I didn't know, um, I don't think I knew until I was almost a teenager that my mom had um, died of suicide. And then just kind of, you have thoughts of, I don't know, it's really, it, to a kid, maybe to anybody, but in my perspective as a kid, it's, it's, an, it's an abandonment. Um, and then as you get older and you realize that, I don't know, it, it, to think, I've been in dark places before, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not um, clinically depressed, um, but I'll get down. And when I'm down and I'm not feeling like kind of doing anything, I can't, can't even imagine taking the step to permanence of of permanence to ending my life. 
So trying to put yourself in somebody's situation with compassion to see that it must have been pretty bad. Like it, and <clears throat> I've had a, a, some experience lately with um, a friend and it, it just reminds me of, and, and I've had this thought before, but it just reminds me of the mind is so tricky because it's what you know. Um, if you think, if, if your mind is telling you something that is not true, it's inside your head. It's, it's all you ever known is that inner voice talking to you and telling you, putting you through a situation. And if your mind is telling you that everybody in your life would be better off without you, that I don't have a place here, that I don't have, um, usefulness left to get back to kind of the book. Um, I, I just, I can't imagine being in that situation. So the book just kind of, it, it spread that out. It puts you inside, um, this man's house and his life and his experiences through his life that has gotten him to a point that he's a curmudgeon and he's doesn't have friends and he is just done with the world. Um, and it's just, it's eye opening. And then to have alongside it, um, <clears throat> there's a, a lady in the book that just comes beside him and sees him where he's at and knows there's an issue and a problem. And she just dedicates her life to keeping him alive. So the power of real, it, uh, the friend that was leading the book club, she said she held the book and hugged it at the end. And it really is so, such a beautiful testimony to the power of healing that's available and care in relationships and community and how needed it is and how wired up we are. And something I remember, and this is just something from um, depression, is I remember in the... I was seven, so the time period leading up to it. But I remember days and days. There'd be whole days where my mom wouldn't come out of her bedroom. So as you get to a point where you're not useful and you're you're thinking people will be better off without you, what's the what do you do? You isolate yourself. You 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 isolate yourself from the very thing that you need um, in relationships. And I, and I know it, it can't all just be solved with the relationships. There's Medication and therapy and everything that goes along with it, but um, <clears throat> it's hard. It, the again, the 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 friend that I had recently, um, who had an issue, isolated himself, and to a point that it we were getting together as a as a group um, outside of him, and we were just we didn't know what to do. What can we do? And I thought about going and I knew he walked his dog every morning. I was just going to go sit out in front of his house and meet him when he walked out his door to walk his dog, you know, just that sort of thing. Cause it, it, the inclination is to isolate. It seems I'm not a, and it's so heartbreaking because it's like, what can we do? Because if someone's isolating themselves and they are in such pain, such agonizing pain, 
the they're not I mean I I mean I can just relate on the smallest speck of a level. Like I definitely have had periods in my life where I'll isolate. Like the the tendency you know it's not, we don't have a culture of like oh come with all your junk. Come with all your hangups. We have a culture that is so busy and so fast and so useful. <laughs> There's just not a lot of time and space to share the hard things. Like that's that's not the norm. <laughs> We're busy producing and consuming. And it's not something everybody understands either because um, it is very personal and you're not going to share everything about what's going on with you from a mental health standpoint. But <clears throat> if somebody, if you have a baby or you break your leg or you, you know, something like that, people know to bring meals and you can spend time and it's just, it's kind of, it's, it's more straightforward. There's a, there's a, something that happens and then there's a healing process and then you can get back into life. But it's from a mental health standpoint, it's just not that way. Yes. And it's, I don't have any answers, but I have a naive hope or dream of just talking about these things more. Um, I think the thing I love about ICU talks that is, something that Steve and I have been doing and actually something I'll be speaking at in March. It's like, it's the whole intention is to end the stigma with mental health. Like there's, it's so important. Like there's so many people that struggle silently and I have a microphone and I think I myself don't even quite own the times I've struggled with anxiety and depression out loud. And so this is my feeble fumbling attempt to in this little corner of the internet in this little corner of the podcast world is to start talking um, about these things. So we're going to launch into a few week series on mental health. Um, Next week, Steve and I are going to be taking the microphone and talking about our marriage. Um, And then we have a couple more fun weeks planned after that. And I'm also going to be discussing soon. We did the discovery place exhibit right now in Charlotte. If you're in Charlotte, I know that the majority of our listeners are in Charlotte. Is that right, Steve? Did it, am I yeah. fair? Although it was very exciting to see. We had some, a few hits from like... England, Japan. Wasn't there one in Mexico it's too? Like five of seven continents. Which is so exciting. It is so fun. Um, a girl who just loves a microphone and loves to express. So it's so fun. Um, although I, I will be honest, though it's fun to think someone in Germany is listening my heart is that this would be a space that would draw me towards more in-depth relationships in Charlotte. Like it's it, a community space. That's like, that's the real heart behind the podcast. Um, anyways, but we went to the Discovery Place exhibit that's in Charlotte and they have a whole exhibit on hashtag make it okay. And the whole thing is on mental health and it was phenomenal. So I'll be unpacking that and sharing stories from that visit because it was fantastic. And I'm actually in conversation with the Discovery Place, and I hope to be able to get a few tickets to be able to share on the podcast. So for anybody that doesn't have a membership, that maybe somebody would be able to earn some tickets to go. So that is where the podcast is moving over the next several weeks before we close out season one. And I just want to close and say thank you so much for listening. Um, Thank you so much for your feedback. Thank you so much for sharing the podcast. Um, And I would just ask if you would be willing and haven't done so yet to um, rate and subscribe to the podcast. And um, we have so much more 
fun topics in store. And I feel like I'm forgetting something else. I'm looking at my producer here, who's also my husband, to see if I've forgotten to say something. As we get into a few more mental health episodes, um, if you're interested in hearing anything, you the listeners out there, um, hit us up on the social media pages. Um, if you go to celebratestorypod.com, there's links to Julie's Facebook and Instagram page. Um, you can throw some topics in there if you want to hear us talk about them, or we may have, we'll also have um, the Untamed group. We'll be back again in a few weeks um, that you heard last week. Uh, that was a wildly popular episode. <laughs> very popular episode. Um, and then Julie and I will be talking, or Julie and um, possibly somebody from Discovery Place. And so, but if you, if there's anything you're itching to hear discussed, um, hop on there. Or you can send a message on Facebook or Instagram and it can be discussed there also. Your feedback is um, pure fuel for the podcast because it, I think so much about it. It, To me, this offers a space and a place to carve out to have a deeper conversation. I mean, all my life, I'll have conversations with like one friend and I'm like, man, I wish I could summarize this entire thing and then share it with these six peoples. But it's like, how can you do that? Well, my dreams have come true. A podcast is how you can do that. So love your feedback. Thank you so much. And please don't hesitate to share it. Oh.